This is Convo by Design, and a conversation with a rising design star from an emerging hotbed of spectacular design, Tulsa, Oklahoma. You heard me. Okay, hear me out. For the past two years or so, I've been talking a lot about the work in what I'm calling the design flyover states, right? That would consist of anything not California, New York, and a highly specific group of cities that dappled the country to include Miami, Atlanta, Boston, Aspen, Hawaii. You get me. There is some incredible work being done that you most likely will never hear about for a litany of reasons we don't really need to go into here. But you will hear about some incredible creatives here on Convo by Design because I think it's important. Why? Well, because there is groundbreaking work being done by exceptional design talent who should be recognized. And today, you're going to meet one such designer. Mel Bean started her eponymous firm with the idea that the work can be, quote, stunning and functional. That's the idea behind it. And it makes sense once you hear this conversation and perhaps see some of her work, I think you'll understand what, what I'm talking about. That her work could be custom tailored to her clients no matter where they are. And you get that a lot. M many designers will say that. I think as you hear her explanation and hear her approach and her philosophy, again, it makes perfect sense. This firm is based in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Some might think that there's no point in looking for new, fresh, and creative work in Tulsa. And they would be wrong. Mel is an A-lister. I, I say that knowing the gravity of what that means. Some just don't know it yet. It's only a matter of time. What you're going to find in Mel Bean is a strong work ethic, a keen vision, and the ability to customize a design aesthetic to accommodate client desire and explore new ideas simultaneously. It's, it's funny, even as I say it, it sounds like, oh, that's so easy. It's not easy. Bean has the creative touch of a fine artist. Her work is both elegant and timeless while remaining completely original. And that's not easy to do. Mel and I explore her work. We talk about Tulsa and answer the question, why she remains here? The answer might surprise you, and the work will definitely inspire you. This is Mel Bean of Mel Bean Interiors. Hey, are you subscribing to the podcast? If not, please do, so you get every episode automatically right when they're published. You can find Convo by Design everywhere you find your favorite podcasts, and now you can find us on designnetwork.org, a destination dedicated to podcasts, all things design and architecture. So please make sure to check that out. Convo by Design is presented by Walker Zanger, a fantastic company and an equally fantastic design partner. While the Walker Zanger brand was built on the promise to inspire designers and architects to do their best work, there's far more to it than that. Yes, that promise is fulfilled every day through a commitment to provide the best ceramic, glass, stone, porcelain, and concrete surfaces and finishes. But at the heart is a family-owned and operated business that provides stunning surfaces for a well-designed home and does it to make designers and architects do their best work for their clients. Walker Zanger started in 1952, and they are absolutely one of the best trade partners a designer can have. Check out their newest collaborative line with designer Pieta Donovan, a, a collection of cement and ceramic tiles inspired by the patterns and colorways of the 1970s and created with a comfortable modernity. Walker Zanger is on the cutting edge of design, featuring products for every style and architectural feel you can create. And they provide homeowners with the materials that dream kitchens and baths are made of. Check out any of their 14 showrooms across the country or shop online, walkerzanger.com. Com. Sometimes the these great conversations start before I ever hit the little red button. Yeah. And this is one of those occasions. <laughs> um, I love that you listen to the Tulsa episode. Mm -hmm. And I love that you're in Tulsa because, and I've said this before, I, I am I am in love with the city of Tulsa. And it's really weird because between LA 
and New York, apparently no design happens. Am I right? <laughs> I disagree. <laughs> yeah. No, of course. I know. But it's, Tulsa is one of those cities yeah. in America. It's kind of like a, a, a Dallas or an Austin or Memphis or Kansas City or, you know, some of these cities where design is thriving and Tulsa has so much history. So I love this. And I always like to start with the origin story. So tell, tell me about the firm. Tell me how you started. And, and I also want to know, at the level that you've attained as a designer, why you've stayed in Tulsa. And I don't mean that in a negative. Oh, right. No, I completely understand. Uh, gosh, yeah, I feel like we have to rewind back to the beginning a little bit for, for my origin story. Um, I mentioned to you before we started recording <laughs> that I uh, grew up in Kansas. My parents, my parents were transferred to Tulsa, Oklahoma when I was a junior in high school. And I really thought that Tulsa was just a, a skip hop through to my future. And instead, I now am more than 20 years later uh, in Tulsa for good. I'm here to stay. And along the way, uh, you know, I went to college at Oklahoma State and I was going to be a doctor. Uh, psych pre-med was my major. And then I ended up switching my major to interior design. And it was a realization that I had always been a designer and I had always had inclinations for design as a child, but did not recognize it for what it was. Um, and so as soon as I made that change, I felt like I came into myself, that it was where I was meant to be. And I started working in the industry right away. And while I was in college and I eventually fast forward to 2011, launched my first design firm with a partner, Bailey Austin. And she and I were partners for many years. And, you know, launching that business was so exciting, so scary. I have twin boys who were only two at the time. And so it was a big leap, but I, again, I felt like it was the right thing to do. And, uh, you know, we had so much fun and wonderful clients and experiences and wonderful team members. And eventually in late 2018, we decided to launch our own separate firms and I launched Melbourne Interiors. And um, we, I have a team of five that helped, you know, create Melbourne Interiors with me. And they're a wonderful group of really dedicated um, work women that we are, um, you know, they, I feel like they have a really strong sense of ownership and commitment to the company because they helped create this new iteration. And, uh, you know, as far as staying in Tulsa, there is a wonderful design community in and around Tulsa. Oklahoma also has beyond the cities themselves. We do work in Tulsa, Oklahoma City and beyond. We go out of state. Um, but there's also really cool like ranches throughout the state that really value design. And so we lakes that have gorgeous lake homes. And so even for our clients that are based in Tulsa, we'll often get to design other homes that are a completely different aesthetic, but a real appreciation for design. Um, and so I feel like we're able to do work beyond Tulsa. We, we navigated that before the pandemic. And then now with the pandemic, um, it does feel like clients, uh, designers, architects, we're all much more willing and accepting of that process. And so it streamlines something I think that we were headed towards anyway of, of doing remote work and design. Um, but there is just such an appreciation of value of interior design and architecture in this area um, that combined with the city of Tulsa itself and all it has to offer. It just, I, I wouldn't go anywhere else. I'll travel and visit other places that I love to explore and that are very inspiring, but this is my home. Well, and let's talk about that too. The fact that Tulsa, Oklahoma has such a rich and diverse design and architecture history is amazing. And because it's, you know, because it was, it was founded, really founded and started by oil barons from really both coasts, but primarily New York. So you've got a city that was built on a, on a plan straight out of Midtown Manhattan. You've got the idea that arts and culture is incredibly important. So you have a city that was it was it was imbued with the with the spirit of of opera and ballet 
and professional sports. And it's, it's really interesting and diverse. Because of that, I think that there's a stereotype that all of the South and Midwest gets, gets pinned with, right? But that doesn't appear to be the case. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, Tulsa does have, I think for the size of Tulsa, a lot of people would expect to have less access to the arts and to, you know, this, we've got the symphony, we've got the, we've got wonderful museums, the Philbrook Museum of Art, the Gilcrease Museum, and there's a lot of new contemporary museums and developments. But then you get to go back to the historic architecture and the art deco movement here in Tulsa is it's some of the best art deco architecture in the world. And who would think Tulsa, Oklahoma, and that history has left such an imprint for the growth that's happening today. And um, you mentioned the diversity of the arts sports. Um, You know, it really is a, I've heard it referred to, Tulsa referred to as a, uh, you know, a little big city or (laughs) a big little town. And it really does feel like a very personal, warm city. It's also called green country. We have a lot of trees. And so for urban areas to have as much uh, natural landscape, the Arkansas River comes through the city. And so lots of park systems as well. Um, It feels like it has something to offer for everyone. And um, I actually live in a hundred plus year old home just south of downtown Tulsa. I can walk to the river uh, and explore the river parks, um, ride bikes with my kids. I can walk downtown for a wonderful, you know, cocktails and dinner um, and then view. I, w- I walk past the Boston Avenue Methodist Church, which is a really iconic view building, wonderful, um, as well as some other beautiful churches and just the urban planning of the city is really impressive. And at the skyline, I just love it. I can see the skyline out of my kitchen window as well. And I just love seeing it lit up at night. (laughs) That is the coolest. Um, Here's what's interesting too. I'm, I'm curious from your, your perspective, there is obviously a willingness and a desire for the work you do. What about the resources has, has, you know, Tulsa doesn't have a design center. But how do you have the resources you need or has it been sort of a slow trickle, especially as of late, that people are now starting to discover the city? Well, as far as resources for us as a design firm to be able to view products, furnishings, we do generally need to travel for that. And so as we're sourcing for clients and pulling our design concepts together, we're really doing that from a variety of you know, online sources, our experiences visiting markets and sitting in furniture pieces and, you know, recognizing like what is comfortable, what is not. And it takes a lot of trust from our clients who cannot necessarily go sit in a piece of furniture before they purchase it. And and so we do our part in advance to help um, to ease some of the challenges there. And so as far as sources for interior design products and things, we really do have to go a little extra mile. Um, Dallas is the closest, easiest to get to place that has uh, a good design center and uh, some of our vendors there. Um, that will sometimes be a trip with our clients to, to view showrooms and help narrow down our approach. Um, but then the re- resources of the city itself, I feel like we have a wealth of resources for our clients for, um, there is a lot of design appreciation from our clients here. I think in no part it is in no small part because of the value of Tolson's in general on the design of the city and what's expressed here. It's become, you know, we're acclimated to having access to really beautiful things around us. And so it does help our clients to have more of a prioritization for design and um, our, the city itself, we really do have a lot. There's plenty of design here. Um, you know, I, I focus on residential design and the homes that we're talking about, these beautiful historic neighborhoods that were largely built in the oil boom of the early 1900s. Um, those homes are very well preserved throughout a lot of Midtown Tulsa, especially. And, uh, and that's just a wonderful opportunity. I love, you know, we do new construction work as well. And I, I value each, but there's something about working with the 
master craftsmanship in these historic homes and grand details that even if you, even if a client really wanted to achieve those today, they can't be perfectly replicated. Um, there's a lot to work with here. And, and because of that, I'm, I'm curious, it's interesting for me because when I, when I started doing the podcast eight years ago, I would always ask designers. So, and it's, it's funny too, because now it's kind of cringy. I'll, I'll look back at it and it's like, it wasn't a stupid question, but it was, it was pedestrian. And, and the idea was, you know, what's your, what's your favorite style? Do you have a go-to style? Do you have a, and over the years I've, I've learned the finer nuance of this is that it's not that you have a style, it's that you have consistencies and through lines with the work. So the work can always change, but there are certain through lines, there are certain ideas, there are certain sort of, you know, that will, that will be resonant in the work based on timeframes, based on phases of, of your career. And I'm curious with you, because I've seen your work and I want to, I want to explore some of your work with you at the same time, because there is such a rich heritage of art deco, of craftsmen, of, um, you know, colonial, American colonial, uh, colonial Renaissance, mm -hmm. because there is such an influence of, you know, the, the J. Paul Gettys who, who came in and with, oh, with all of their global influence, you know, and I'm curious if you find yourself more attracted to any of them, or if, and you will see from your work, you have, you have a modern aesthetic that you apply to traditional architecture and design. And I'm curious sort of how that developed and how you grow with that at the same time, recognizing the heritage and the history. Yeah, I, I'm not a, I'm not a rule follower, follower in interior design. I don't believe in rules or very many rules. I have one rule. Um, and the rule is don't spend a dime until you have the vision pretty vetted. Um, that's my one rule. I don't believe there's any other universal rule that applies to all my projects. Um, but to your question, I love the challenge of designing for each family, each individual. It should really be a reflection of who they are. And so no two homes should be identical or feel very similar. Uh, and so in my work, I love getting to know my, my client and helping that inform the interiors, but the architecture and the surroundings do definitely inform the interiors as well. And so um, we worked on a project that has, uh, it's a historic, a really beautiful historic home. And it was originally decorated by Elsie DeWolf. So speaking of the iconic worldly designers and architects that were coming to Tulsa in the early 1900s, Elsie DeWolf designed this home originally. And so it was such an honor to follow in her footsteps and, and make it an appropriate home for the clients, the, the modern day clients and the way they live their life. And so we got to work with really stunning details um, with a lot of history, a, a grand dining room. And it has a, a story behind it. The grand dining room uh, was being built at the same time as a neighboring home and it became a competition of the homeowners who would have the larger dining room. And so this client, when it was being built, added on an additional, I believe it was like 10 feet in length after the home was constructed so that they could win this battle. And that room was then had a beautiful hand-painted mural designed by Elsie DeWolf. And unfortunately that was lost over the years, but we were able to take some of the colors and concepts and uh, original intent and translate it along with a beautiful stained glass dome and some different things that informed the design. But it is definitely full of some, you know, mid-century pieces, um, original, you know, modern art mixed in. I love the variety and the challenge. And so really is a process, a, a process of getting to know the home, of getting to know the clients and creating something that is better than they could have imagined. And I love the experience. I love that it's different each time there is a continuity in my design because it is all filtered through my lens of my history and my stories and the things I've learned along the way. That's also an ever evolving 
beast as well. So um, I love that that can even change over the years. And you can look at my work and see different influences through time that maybe I wasn't even super aware of in the moment, but it was just part of who I was and who we were and what we were creating together. That's fascinating to me. And it's really interesting. By the way, um, is that project on your website? It is. It is. What is it called? So I think it's called Ode to Elsie. It's funny because I'm, I'm on here looking. Um, <laughs> ah, okay. I found it. So we're going to, we're going to go to that in a minute because one of the things that I absolutely love to do is, and I'm so glad it's on your, on your site. I like, I've learned this over the last year, you know, being stuck in a studio that doing these conversations, it, you know, when I started doing it, the podcast, because the podcast is, is an audio form of entertainment that I didn't really go to imagery because I always wanted to, to talk through the stories. And then I realized that by looking at the imagery, I could, de I could detect so much more, the finer nuances of everything. It was, and it, it, it got to be really fun. So I love being able to do this and I love that that's on there. Mm -hmm. Before I go to that though, I wanted to ask you with such a rich heritage, Part of it is it's a double-edged sword, right? So part of it is you want to save everything, but not everything is either meant to be saved or possible to save it. I will use one example. I'll use more, I promise. I always mm -hmm. say one and then I wind up going on and on. But um, <laughs> the, the vault restaurant and bar, which is, which is in, in Tulsa, which started out as, a, as one of the country's first drive-through banks is now a restaurant. But they kept that 50s, almost googie style of architecture. And I love that they kept it, but they repurposed it and made it something different, but it still maintained its original soul. Mm -hmm. there's, there's a certain art to that, isn't there? Oh, yeah. I love to use the word soul because I do believe there is an, an essence, a soul to every home and every project. And uh, I'm very familiar with that space in particular. And I can tell you, it's a really fun experience when you enter the vault and you feel like you could be transported back to the fifties. It's, um, it's, it is an experience um, and it's an unusual one. You don't get opportunities like that. And um, upstairs, there's a space called the Tom Tom room, which you'll have to check out as well. And it's really fun. It has a patio. It's super fun and great cocktails too. <laughs> But I, um, you know, we have, we have projects that we come to that the home itself has, you know, a renovation where the home itself has elements worth saving and worth preserving. There are others that really lacked that soul that you're talking about and that we really need to add. It's what we bring into the project, what we add in terms of interior architecture and, uh, and layout and space planning that add, that creates the soul. We have new construction. We have one project that's not yet on my website that is a new build, but it's actually deco inspired. And so there's a, a really fun way to approach new construction that has a little bit of that Tulsa art deco that is sold and not super literal. Um, and so, so there's a lot of things worth keeping, even what the homeowners are bringing. A lot of times we have clients come to us with family heirloom pieces of furniture um, that we really need to integrate into the design. And that's part of that creation of the initial vision. Um, I love adding elements that have a little age of history um, rather than having all new things. I feel like you lack a little soul when you're doing all new items throughout a home without anything having patina and age. And so maybe that's one of the constant threads through my work that you're mentioning. Um, it is so important to create the history and the story of the project to have more elements of that personality shine and come through. Just curious, because some of these elements that we're talking about, especially the art deco, the gilding, the painting, the woodwork, the stonework, the metalwork, do you have a challenge when it comes to finding the artisans to to replicate it, recreate it, repair it? You know, we really have our go-tos that we've built over the years. And so we have craftsmen locally who can do most of 
uh, I mean, I haven't yet encountered something that they have not been able to, to pull together. And in fact, the home I was mentioning, the Ode to Elsie project, the stained glass dome that's original to the home, it was in disrepair and needed some restoration. And there's a local company that was able to, they actually removed this giant dome, um, you know, 20 feet in the air and were able to pull it down, restore it, reinstall it. And it looked like it was brought to its original glory. And we were concerned, are they going to be able to match the type of glass specifically and the colors? And, and so that was one of the really unique, specific demanding elements that we needed to be able to tie into. Um, but there are, we have a teams of craftsmen here that we really have been able to have stepped up to our challenges, even when they're a little out there, a little crazy and have been able to restore or bring new life to um, the visions that we're creating. That's very cool. With that, you know, mm-hmm. I am going to share my screen with you. Mm-hmm. Hold on. Can you see? There it uh, is. Okay. There. Awesome. There we go. Hang on one second. Um, I'm just bringing this over. I love doing this on the fly while I'm recording, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Okay. There it's we perfect. go. It's great. Um, good. Okay. So this is, this is the project that we were talking about. Oh, Delcy. I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm seeing uh, the sound. I'm not seeing the, the image anymore. Wait oh, there we go. Got it. Okay. There we go. Perfect. 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 Okay. Thank you. Okay. So this is Odelsey. So where, where is, what part of town is, is this home? This is in Midtown Tulsa uh, in the 21st and Peoria area. Okay. So this is the foyer. I love this. Mm -hmm. This is amazing. Now, how much of this was, was existing, um, and how much did you did you recreate and how much did you sort of reimagine? Sure. In this case, all of the architectural details you're seeing, the crown molding, the trim on the ceiling, the marble tiles, the original French doors, that is all original. Um, the, and including the front door is original. And so in this case, we were able to just bring in some finishing touches and elements and color palette to in this case, we were trying to draw more more attention to those elements. So in choosing the benches that had the little touch of black and, and the little kind of like Greek key detail, um, the elegance and drama of the light fixture, but still kind of in its simplicity, uh, those things for us really guide the eye to see these unique, not replicable elements of the entry here. So I really love this space. It's so simple. (laughs) It it really is. Okay. So the floor, the marble, you, that was there originally. You saved this. Yes. Yeah. It was in good condition. It didn't require restoration. It didn't require replacement. So it's in really good condition. I love that. That is stunning. Okay. So the the dome. So unfortunately this photograph doesn't capture the, the, the additional dome on top of that dome that has so this is the rotunda. And okay. so the stained glass is on top of that. It's kind of hard to photograph from here, but yeah, the, the entry you just saw actually leads into the living room. And then once you're through the living room, you enter this rotunda space. So this home was created on the cross axis. And so it's got this dramatic focal point from the entry through the living room the rotunda and you see the dining room beyond that, the dining room that is the larger of the two in the competition. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And by the way, what, um, what, what year was this home originally built? Oh, I, okay. It was the early 1900s. I'm not sure. From some reason, 1912 pops into my mind, but I'm not sure that that's right. Okay. And um, I I, I love this. So the, just out of curiosity, the floors, did you replace repair? Original restored. Um, Yeah. So they have this beautiful, each room, uh, the dining room has a contrasting uh, herringbone pattern. This is a more of a gridded pattern here. Um, And, and these are original French doors. And so I I have this Gatsby like vision of the doors flung open and the shoes blowing in (laughs) when I see this space and it feels you know, this room feels like it's a modern room, but when you walk into the space and you experience it, it does feel like you're, you, you do experience the, the age and the history when you encounter the space. And so the, we did some things to, you know, add some 
elements of style and carrying light. And so you see on the left that there's these niches that we added uh, custom antique mirror to kind of bounce the light from the windows around the room and update that feature. Um, but yeah, we had a, a lot to work with here. <laughs> really so solid foundation. Mel, also, I, I just want you to know, noticing that it's, it's really interesting. You mentioned that you added the niche. I, I, I originally, when I first looked at the image, I, I just imagined that this was already existing. Um, be, be, to clarify, we didn't add the niche. We just added the mirror to the, the mirror okay. to really emphasize the niche there. It, it's beautiful too. And what I like that you did is by adding the mirror into it, it reflects off the original architecture of the doors too. Mm -hmm. So you get this light that pops in. It's it's like adding a window into an mm -hmm. interior wall. It's a, it's a beautiful choice. The other thing that, yeah. that you did that I absolutely love is the the molding is so is so pronounced but you took some attention off of it you didn't you didn't make it so overwhelming because i think had you gone had you gone with a color or you gone with something else it would have been really overly impactful in the room it's beautifully done thank you beautifully done i love this space and then um so is the dining room as we scroll through this is the dining. Oh, see, I love, I love this. Yeah. Um, this is, it, what is this? What, what room, what do you call this? So this we call the living room and this okay. is, you can see the entry beyond that. We were just looking at that door. And so this really, this image in particular really tells you the story of this space. So, so much natural light and the dramatic fireplace on the right. Um, and then you've got the dramatic art as the focal point on the opposite wall um, you know, mirrored sconces flanking the archways as well. Uh, it really, like I said, this has such a soul and such a good starting point for, for us in this design. Um, it, it's just, you can't replicate this. The doors themselves, the original hardware on the doors, you just cannot replicate the experience. That was the other question I was going to ask you, having become familiar with this. When you when you want to take a project back to original modified modern how is is there a local source that you have for finding handles fixtures finishes molding that is original to the to the city yes there are um, there are some local places uh, it, it's difficult to find you know they're they're not common. Um, and so there are local vendor vendors that, let me repeat that. <laughs> there are local vendors that have a lot of pieces that have been reclaimed, but they've also, a lot of them have been grabbed up over the years. And so it can be tricky. And honestly, online sourcing has become necessary. And sometimes you will not be able to find exact replicas, but you just need to select something that captures the essence of what was original. Um, in my own home, it was during my remodel, it had all the original doorknobs, crystal knobs. And during the remodel, they went missing from the site and I was not able to find them or to find great replicas. And so I was able to select, it, it pushed me in a direction I'm really happy with actually. And I was able to select new hardware that picked up on the direction. So new crystal knobs that are a little cleaner in style and a little bit more to my natural aesthetic anyway. And so it led me down a path I hadn't intended. And of course I love the original hardware and would have preferred to have kept that, but it ended up being a happy situation in the end. Isn't it interesting how the happy accidents happen sometimes where, you know, something, something bad happens and then you're you're kind of forced to go creatively in a different direction and you you find something that that you that you tend to like better yeah and that's just the reality of our work too you know nothing no project in my experience anyway is ever without a hitch is ever without some kind of surprise and so part of we just have to be agile in our experience of our guiding the project guiding the homeowner and to me, that's actually part of the fun. I love the challenge and problem solving involved in adapting to the challenges that pop up. And every project has them. 
Absolutely. Okay. So are, are we in the dining room at this, this point? This is the dining room. <laughs> okay. So it's interesting because the, the first couple of things that I notice, and you know, it, it's funny, I don't know if it's just a bad habit, but my first instinct when I see a beautiful space is to try, try to deconstruct it and dissect it in my mind um, <laughs> because it kind of helps focus on the individual parts as, as opposed to that of the whole. And my eye was immediately drawn to those wood floors. Oh, yeah. There you go. The original floors. Uh, and this is the room that would have originally had the mural by Elsie DeWolf. And it also had some antique mirror pieces. So if you can imagine what it once was, and that led to a little moodier, dimmer space. Um, but in both that, those floors are the star of the space. And the length of this room was challenging, uh, but it allowed us to create two separate spaces. The dining room was brought to the clo closer to the rotunda, and then there was a fireplace under uh, under the art at the end with the kind of burgundy drapes, um, and that has a little seating grouping there. And so it feels like a very livable, interactive space. You can sit throughout the day by those more of those French doors and enjoy a drink in the chairs at the end or sit by the fire in cold weather. Um, but we were able to divide the space and then that led us to kind of utilize two separate light fixtures on this massive ceiling to, you know, break it up, anchor the spaces, and again, leaving it to highlight the dramatic crown molding and trim. And as you said, if we had chosen a really high contrast color, those things would the room would have looked really busy if we had done that first off um, and then it would have felt heavy. And so the client really wanted a lighter space to capture the natural, the natural sunlight and highlight the elements like the floor. So it pleases me that that's what you're drawn to. <laughs> well, yeah, because what you've done here is, is in essence, you've, you've sort of minimized, I don't want to call it noise, right. But you've minimized the the other factors so that one can actually celebrate the architecture mm -hmm. and that is just such it's an art form in and of itself to you know and I I would equate that as as part of you know if edit is one then what this is 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 one a mm -hmm. right yeah because it's not really an edit that. you're not taking things out you're not putting them there in the first place and, mm -hmm. um, and I think that celebrating the interior architecture of this space, and again, those, those floors are just stunning. Really interesting mm -hmm. too, and to be honest, I need to educate myself a little bit more, but I'm finding myself just absolutely fascinated by the fact that these, these incredible wood floors with the inlays and the patterns and the color changes, they vary from room to room, space to space, Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm just, I, I'm in awe of it. It's, I'm stunned. It's beautiful. I agree. These homes, they're really, we have, you know, in, in new construction, we have clients who are willing to take those risks and make those bold choices. But I think for some, it's more palatable when it's in a historic home already and they get to experience in a way that already feels accepted. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the next one, okay, so the next one I wanted to ask you about was your, um, which one was it? Oh, the Rockford renovation. Where is mm -hmm. this? Also in Midtown Tulsa. Okay. And this architectural style is, what would you call this? French revival? Uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely French. Um, there was a large kind of country French trend uh, in interiors that was very popular in Tulsa. Um, and this home is a, it's not a historic home, um, but it was built with beautiful architectural details that could lead you to believe it was. And uh, definitely French in style and on a larger piece of property overlooking this window actually overlooks a pond on the property. And so I think that the architecture and the surrounding environment really create the um, they really emphasize the architectural style, this landscape and the setting that it is in. And that is part of what we played upon to, to spread into the interior design and uh, really maximize those architectural elements. Now, here's what's interesting. You, I, I found this trend through 
metropolitan cities where they kind of celebrate original architecture by reviving it, which is, which is not uncommon. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is Tulsa seems to have been far more selective than perhaps other cities. You know, there are, there are small communities within Tulsa and there's one that I'm trying to think of the name of it and I'm forgetting it, it'll come to my mind, um, which is a mid-century modern community. Lordendale. Yes, thank you. Really interesting how this community was built. There's, you know, I guess maybe 200 homes, something like that, where they're all mid-century mods. They're they're super cute, and there's two community pools as part of this neighborhood. But because the neighborhood was structured the way that it was, you couldn't go in and tear these houses down. And I, I suppose if you did, you had to rebuild them in the same architectural style. And I think that that's just really interesting. Now, outside of a community like that, you know, here in LA, we we will have that that '90s Mediterranean, which should mm-hmm. never have been <laughs> duplicated, but they did. But here, it feels like this is a this is a relatively new home. It's a new build, but it was it was done in celebration. Of, of an architectural style that saw incredible success early on in Tulsa's existence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just want to say my first grown up home was a Lortondale home. And really? I loved, yes, I loved living with the floor to ceiling, wall to wall glass. And it was really difficult to move away to a home that had less window and less natural light than after experiencing that. And they're really efficiently designed. Um, that's where we lived when my boys were born. And so, uh, you know, quite a dramatic change from that to my craftsman that I'm in now, you know, but uh, yeah, this home here, the Rockford renovation, it was a celebration that they really went to great lengths to get some of the details right that make it work. Um, the scale of the spaces and the the details in themes and in, uh, and in the exterior architecture and details and setting, they really went to great lengths to make it feel convincing and feel worthy of preserving. And and so it's a beautiful home with grand spaces and really well livable design. I mean, we we made some major changes to some of the layouts in the kitchen areas and the master bedroom. and, And so there were some big changes, but we also were able to preserve the, we updated the beams and we just changed the color to kind of kill some of the dated red and orange. But then we used our kitchen design to really build from that. And I appreciate that you say that because we're in the kitchen now. I'm, I'm looking at the, at the kitchen now. And Mel, there is so much here that I want to address. I mean, just so much uh, about choices you made and color palette and materials. I, I, there are a couple of things that I'm just jumping out at here that I want to know about. First of all, your choice, your selection in cabinetry mm-hmm. and why you made certain choices the way that you did. There is more cabinetry per square foot in this kitchen than I think I've, I've seen in a long time. <laughs> Yet, at the same time, you didn't force it anywhere. So you have you have a, a rolling ladder, a library ladder, which I absolutely love to reach, you know, uppers, which would have been anywhere else completely wasted space. You put cabinetry under the island where there's seating, you know, obviously to, to put things, I'm assuming to put things that you wouldn't, that are not day to day. You have That's cabinetry right. on the, you have cabinetry on the side, yet you still found opportunities for open shelving. Tell me as, as you're, you know, the kitchen architecture, as you're laying this out and designing it, what you were thinking. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't want to take this whole space too far into the French direction as far as the cabinet style. And so I wanted it to feel like it brings some history and its details. And then the French curve was picked up in the hood and so those really wanting to emphasize that, the, the hood design, and um, you're exactly right. If we had wrapped every wall in these monumental cabinets, it would have felt imposing. It would have um, really made the space feel less grand. 
And so instead we prioritize that hood on the focal point wall with its beautiful, you know, marble slabs and added the shelves for a little bit of detailing and, and personality, and then really maxed out the two sidewalls. So on this, um, on the left wall, as you're looking into the space, there's glass front end cabinetry um, for the day-to-day -day dishes. And so it's really a utilitarian element here. The kids can see exactly where everything is and get what they need at a lower height. Um, you just turn around to the island and one of the dishwashers is right there. So functionally it's a pivot and put the dishes away. Um, and then we, in this, this wall, we have the refrigerator and freezer hidden behind cabinet doors there, or, you know, faced in cabinets and then a steam oven. And so this is a really heavy work zone over here. Um, but the, the rolling ladder on this wall was a really fun element that the clients wanted to have, but of course it actually makes those upper cabinets functional. Um, a lot of times we take the cabinets to the ceiling to emphasize it's for storage, but it's also to actually make this, the space feel taller. That's counterintuitive to some, uh, that taking the ceiling, the cabinets to the ceiling actually helps you with height, um, and scale. Uh, but in this case, instead of those cabinets being where platters go that are pulled out once a year, or <laughs> this is actually highly functional storage. So, and it's interesting, I picked up on something you said, one of the dishwashers. <laughs> I thought you and, might notice that. <laughs> and there are, there are two sinks relatively close to each other. And so it, when you talk about a heavy work zone, you're not kidding. No, and actually that is one of, that's one single large galley sink there with two faucets mm. and a dishwasher on either side and behind it, you can see the range top. And so um, the, the, as I said, I'm not a big fan of rules, but there is certain functional elements. You've heard the work triangle. I don't find that that uh, applies to all of our clients, but that is not necessarily their priority. And sometimes there's various work zones in this case. Uh, you can have people kind of working on both sides of the islands, both end of the rooms, all, and as well as the far right side of the room, um, and have a lot of people working at the same time, hanging out in there and it's functional. It doesn't feel like you're piling on top of one another, but in reality, you know, our, the homes that we design for families, a lot of times we want to dishwashers in order to keep that galley sink from filling up with dishes while you're waiting for the other to unload and for entertaining, um, you know, a home like this can host a lot of people. And so just practically speaking, it's nice to have that function. Really interesting though, something I'm just picking up on in this, in this, you know, in Southern California, and I know in, in New York, um, Florida as well, there is this, trend that's that's been gaining steam now for probably i want to say five to ten years um and, and here in southern california it started with the asian community well really with the the orthodox jewish community that is kosher so they would have the dual kitchen set up where you will have mm -hmm. two sinks two refrigerators freezers two dishwashers you'll have two of everything um mm -hmm. the asian community uh they would have one two kitchens is the idea, but their two kitchens would be different. There would be one mm -hmm. kitchen for show. And then there would be the work kitchen where, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's more established for, for hot grease splatter odors, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and this idea that there are two kitchens established, that's one, one really for show where you can gather and have a glass of wine and the other that is just like the workspace. Yeah. Yours is kind of taking advantage of the same idea but it's functionally different. And I find that, I find that really interesting. And I'm curious if you're starting to see that more and more. Yeah. To me, it's really a reflection of the homeowners. Um, we have some who really want their home to be a casual, livable, approachable experience for their kids and for their family. And in those we often see where, like in the case of this kitchen, there is a large walk-in pantry that's hyper-organized and hyper-functional. And then there's an additional, what we call the snack pantry. And so it's the place with all the goodies in it that the kids, when they're hungry, that's where they go. And um, so it's not additional, what we call prep kitchens. Some of our homes, particularly those that entertain a lot, will have the beautiful kitchen that is the 
showpiece that can be used and can be functional, but then a separate prep kitchen, which can often be as large as or larger than the main kitchen. Um, so that when they're entertaining, that's all going on behind the scenes and you can still stand at the bar and have a drink and visit and, uh, and not be part of the, the, not see any of the behind the scenes magic that's happening. (laughs) And so we're seeing more and more of that. And also I can relate to that from a practical point of, you know, my kitchen is not always perfect and tidy as much as I wish it were the case. And so I can also see the practical reason of having that kind of behind doors. Yet we want the open space that engages with living spaces and dining spaces. And so um, I, I wouldn't trade that in my home. I really like the open experiences when I'm in the kitchen cooking and I can see my kids. One of the other things you did in this space, and I wanted to ask you about it, absolutely artfully done. I wanted to talk to you about the stone and sort of that that backsplash, that whole wall um, up to the ceiling, mm-hmm. um, as well as the countertop. And, and something that, again, just, you know how sometimes it's down to the finer nuances of things and it's that one thing that you do or don't do that makes such a difference. As I look at the image, one of the things I notice is on this island, you didn't take the stone into a waterfall. Mm-hmm. Instead, you put a cabinet there. Mm-hmm. It, it, I, I think, and I'm curious if this was your thinking, I, I think that if you had gone with the waterfall, it would have been too much. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have it would have whitewashed that that backs that backsplash that whole wall. It just would have become one wall of stone. And I and I'm curious, sort of your thoughts on that. I agree. That was the intent um, by choosing to let the cabinetry show a little bit more, including the little OG details of the cabinetry and the base trim and and those those little pieces that tell a story by choosing that there rather than additional slab, it really emphasizes that backsplash wall. If we had a a waterfall edge, it would do two things. It would take the space leaning a little more contemporary rather than this timeless aesthetic that felt appropriate for the home. And it would have distracted from the backsplash wall. I likely would have chosen a different direction for the backsplash had I chosen the waterfall edge here for the island. But it really wasn't the right fit in terms of it feeling more contemporary for the space. Where do you get your stone from? Where did this come from and what is it? It is a dandy white marble. And this was sourced locally. Um, You know, we have some, you know, our manufacturers that actually cut and install the pieces here, but then we have uh, distributors locally, several that are great. Um, Pacific Shores is, I believe, where this was sourced locally. Um, but they also have each of the local distributors has access to slabs all over the country. And so if we see something in their system, they will ship it to Tulsa for us to view it. Now, this is something that we do with our clients that we're able to do in person, see, touch and feel with our own hands and select the exact slabs because of that system. And, um, you know, as I mentioned, that's not always the case with furniture, uh, but I love going to look at all the variety of slabs and the rainbows of colors. And it really gets yeah. me excited and I could design entire spaces around a slab selection. Isn't that fun? Yeah. <laughs> it, it really is. And, um, you know, just going through a couple more of the images. Okay. So <laughs> this wine room. <laughs> Let's talk about the wine cellar. <laughs> this it, it is. So here was my question. Is it a, is it a room or is it a cellar? Is it down? So they have a a full basement in this home. It's a walkout Uh, basement to the pool level. And so this is a wine cellar, but it's accessible from this very highly functional, highly lived in and highly functional lower level of the home. This space was actually a closet. It was just an oversized closet that we weren't really sure what to do with in the beginning phases of the design. And it was we were a little ways into the project before we decided that, yes, this is what we wanted to do. And so we opened up the wall to this kind of hallway space that's been open to overlooking the pool and installed the beautiful steel doors. Um, I, you can kind of note there's a lock there at the bottom hidden. And so for safety for Saw the kiddos. It. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
but you know, installing that that really allows you to see this beautiful space and choosing the floor tiles and the walnut cabinetry, and then of course, row upon row of wine. It really it gets a lot of use. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure it does. Now, this bathroom is this mm-hmm. in the basement as well? It is. So okay. it's, we call this the pool bath. And so, okay. yeah, it's really a great, highly functional space for getting in and out, getting dressed for the pool, rinsing off after the pool. And it actually has two kind of really pretty stalls to the left here so that multiple people can be in here if needed. I love that. And that floor tile, where do you, where did that come from? That's beautiful. You're not going to believe me. <laughs> Home Depot. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Beautifully done. Beautifully done. Thank you. See the the Hilo mix. There is an yeah, art I mean, to that we, as we well. Looked, we looked at hand painted, really beautiful tiles, and that was kind of the standard of the look we were going for. And then happened to stumble across this. The client loved it. It was more practical as far as living with the kids, less slippery. It was just a, it was a big win, and it's high impact. And just so much, you know. Obviously, this is one of the kids' rooms. Yes. This is not the master bedroom. This is not. <laughs> was Did you have that bed built or was that purchased? That was purchased. Um, this is that actually is so a great. space. Thank you. It, it, you know, a magical, fantastic little girl's room. Um, this is open to her bedroom with glass French doors. So it's kind of a two room space. And so she has her bedroom and then has this, uh, this really fun play area. It's wonderful. I love it. Thanks. And, you know, that's, that's one of the things that I have recognized, you know, just scrolling through this a little bit. And one of the things that I've, I've recognized in your work is it doesn't feel to me like you're taking this too seriously. Mm-hmm. And I, and I say that, I, I say that with, with all of the honor and respect it deserves, because I feel like you know, you've, you've said it more than once, you know, you're telling a story and telling the story of the, of the people that are living there and for whom you designed this space. Mm. I think that there's, it's an art form. Thank you. My favorite projects are with a homeowner who is very collaborative, who really does help guide the direction, not necessarily every step of the way, but who really does inform the way they want to live. And so you'll see across the, as far as the variety of our projects um, between the Color Me Bold project with its vibrant colors and layers of pattern to the, um, the home, the Rockford renovation that we just looked at, it really is important to me that they are practical and livable for our, you know, homes with kids. Nothing, no one wants the formal living room that is all white, that no one gets to touch and the kids, you know, that no one wants to discipline their kids about living in their own home. That's not what our clients want. And, and so it is really important to me that it is a fun experience, the process itself, but that the, in the end, the kids on the reveal days, I love when the kids, their minds are blown and they're so excited. And I see the joy that that brings to the parents who've been involved in every decision and it can really weigh on them. And at the end, sometimes it's them seeing their children experience it. That really helps hit home of, wow, this is, this is how we're going to live. This is what we did. And the kids love it. We're, I can't wait to make memories here. Yeah. And masterfully done, masterfully done. And, and circling back to the beginning, this is why I love hearing the origin story because every single time I've done this, um, and it's really interesting because so few things in life wind up being exactly the way they should be. But every yeah. single time I've done this, the end result and, and the way products are, the way projects are, are designed turns out to be completely cohesive with the origin story and for the reason the designer got into the work in the first place. So I love that. And I have absolutely loved our conversation, Mel. Thank you so much for the time. Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed it as well. Thank you, Mel. Thank you for your time and talent. Thank you, Walker Zanger, for presenting Convo by Design. And Thermosol, you guys are remarkable partners. I'm so fortunate to be working with you. Thank you for listening. Without you, I mean, seriously, what's the point? 
As you may have noticed, Convo by Design is bringing you design talent from all across the country. It's not just about LA and New York, but Arkansas, Texas, and yes, Oklahoma. We are so rich in talent that sometimes we miss some of the gems, and I want to I want to find them myself and present them to you because I think it's fun. As was this conversation with Melbean. Keep those emails coming. Email me with show suggestions, uh, and feel free to suggest a designer, architect, or other creative you think the editorial team should be aware of. Thanks again for listening. Remember why you do what you do and that the business of design is about making better the lives of those we serve, right? Until next week, be well and take today first. (laughs) 